0: So we are continuing in the Gospel of John. John chapter 9. We finished John chapter 8, and I think Brother Scott Roten was the last one who preached 12, or approximately 12 weeks ago in John chapter 8. And so I've titled this message this morning, Blind for the Glory of God. Blind for the Glory of God. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word as we return to looking at the Gospel of John we're going to spend most of the year looking over the next several chapters in John. Lord, we, 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 we teach this way, we, we read this way, we study this way because we believe that every word of God is inspired, is, is, is breathed out by God, is profitable for reproof, correction and training in righteousness that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And Lord, I pray that as we study your word, we study the life of Christ in the gospel of John, that we would see Jesus for who he is. That he was not just an ordinary man, but he is God. And Lord, I pray that if there would be those here this morning who have not come to believe that, that they would see it today and that they would believe that he is the Christ and that by believing they'd have life in his name. I pray this morning that you would help me to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. John 9, 1 through 12. We're going to cover the first 12 verses of John 9. Have you, ever ha- have you ever had a question about something? And it was really troubling you. It was a troubling situation. And you asked somebody for an answer. To your question. And the answer that they gave Troubled you some more. And, and you kind of, you know, they give you their answer and, and you kind of go, kind of cock your head to the side. That's the, the universal, you've you got to cock your head and then you got to kind of squint your eyes a little bit. And you're like, what, it, what? You're still a little confused. You're a little troubled. It didn't get cleared up for you. We've all experienced that. And we, I guess the feeling is that just didn't satisfy me. That answer didn't satisfy me very well. You know, this section in John 9, the disciples ask Jesus a question. And, and as we get through the text, you, you'll see I, I can't prove it from the text that they cocked their head and squinted their eyebrows. But if the disciples of Jesus' day are like us today, which I believe that, that, they, that they were and that we're the same like them, I think they cocked their head and squinted their eyebrows at his answer. And he gives a troubling answer to their question. And it centers around a man that was born blind. He gives a troubling answer to the reason why the man was born blind. Just a little context before we jump into John 9. Where are we? Where, Where are we in this story? It's been 12 weeks since we've been in the Gospel of John. If you remember John chapter 8 where Pastor Scott left off, Jesus was in the temple and he's having this lengthy conversation with the Pharisees, which we see that over and over again. Uh, uh, throughout the life of Jesus. He's dialoguing with the Pharisees. He's confronting their hypocrisy. He's confusing them about uh, th- uh, what he's doing and why he's coming to to do what he's doing. And he, 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 the way he lives, the way he handles himself is an offense to them. And and so he's having this conversation and, and, and they're going back and forth with him and it's culminating in the Pharisees telling, basically telling Jesus, you know, we believe in Abraham. Abraham is our father. And what did Jesus say? Before Abraham was, I am. He said, you want to know who I am? You're trying to figure out who I am, you think you have me figured out well you yeah you're Abraham, Abraham may be your father, but I was existing. I have been existing since before Abraham was born. I'm the eternal God before Abraham was. I am, and, and it says in, in John eight that they picked up stones to throw at Jesus. They were ready to stone him to death, and it says that Jesus left out of the temple and they couldn't get to him, and as he's leaving out of the temple the end of John 8, here we are, John 9. They walk out the temple. Let's look at the text, John 9, 1 through 12. As he passed by, he saw a man born blind from birth, a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. seen him before as a beggar, were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but but he is like him. He kept saying, I'm the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where the guy is that opened my eyes. But I know I was blind, but now I see. And next week, we're going to look at the, the, the stunning revelation of unbelief. Where these Pharisees that Jesus confronted in John 8... They will not believe in Jesus even though he healed this man's eyes. And it is, it, it's so sad, but it's comical. And we'll see that next week the stunning picture of unbelief in the face of a miracle. And then in the, in the last week uh, of this story in john 9 in a couple of weeks we're going to look at the progression of the man born blind he what what are the four ways this is a preview for the message in a couple weeks what are the four ways in which this man describes jesus he first says he is the man then he says he's a prophet then he says he's from god then he calls him lord and that's that progression we're going to see in a couple of weeks. But right now, this is what we're looking at. We're looking at uh, uh, this question that the disciples have for Jesus. They, they leave the temple from Jesus almost getting stoned and, and people wanting to stone him for claiming to be God. And they come out and they see this man born blind. And, and the main point of this message this morning is this. You can write this down. It, it won't be on the screen or in your notes. But if you want to write this down, here's the main point, overarching point. As disciples of Jesus, we must surrender our natural understanding to his perfect knowledge. As disciples of Jesus, we must surrender our natural thinking or understanding. We must surrender it to his perfect knowledge. So we're going to look at three big picture realities that that explain that main point. Three big picture realities from this troubling text. Let's look at the first one. The first one is this, is that the effects of the fall can be seen everywhere. That's in your handout. It's on the screen here. The effects of the fall can be seen everywhere. Look back to the text. John 9, 1, as he passed by running for his life, he saw a man blind from birth. A man blind from birth. Beggars would sit outside of the temple. Why would beggars sit outside of the temple? They'd sit outside of the temple because they were hoping that people who were looking for forgiveness for sins, they'd come in and bring their sacrifices, they would get forgiven. Hopefully they feel grateful whenever they uh, are, are, are coming out. Or maybe they feel guilty when they're coming in, so they give while they're feeling guilty. And, and, and maybe they feel grateful when they leave and they're, they, they're forgiven, so they, they, they give because they feel grateful. So beggars would sit outside of the temple and they'd beg. And people who were destitute, and this blind beggar was one of them. He was destitute. But it says he was blind from birth. And this is an effect of the fall. Blind from birth. And then we're going to explain what the fall is in, 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 in a few moments if you've never heard of that term. But he's blind from birth. It's congenital blindness. That's what you say when you have a, a disease or, a, or, or sickness or an illness that, that is from birth. It's congenital. You know, every seven minutes, someone in the United States loses their sight. Every seven minutes. So... Let's see. Let's do the math here. Um, I'm normally a 50-plus minute preacher, and so maybe there's going to be seven or eight people in in the length of this message that are going to go blind in the United States during this message about a man born blind. Every five seconds, someone in the world loses their sight. Every five seconds in the world. So this man was born blind, and and every... uh, One in every 5,300 babies born in the U.S. are born with vision impairment. They may not be born blind, but they're born with vision impairment. So as Jesus and his disciples are, are, are leaving the angry and the murderous mob in the temple, here's the reality. They're faced with another reflection of the curse of sin. They're faced with another reflection in that temple in John 8. That was a picture of the fall of humanity. That was a picture of the curse of sin that was on humanity. That that anger, that hatred, those murderous desires in the heart of the Pharisees. And then they leave the temple and now it says they walk by and they see a man that was born blind. Born blind. It's Because of the fall. The curse of sin. So where did the curse of sin come from? God creates Adam and Eve. He creates Adam. God creates Adam, provides Eve as as a helpmate. He gives them dominion and stewardship over over the garden. God gives them his commands. He says you you can only eat of of all the fruit and and, and the vegetables from every plant and tree in the garden. But of this one tree you cannot eat its fruit lest you die. He gives them his commands. Eve is deceived by the serpent, by Satan. Eve is deceived. But Adam sins with understanding. Adam sinned with knowledge, and he passively abdicates his responsibility to lead. And then God, what does he do when he comes walking in the cool of the day in the garden? Who does he come looking for, the one who was deceived or the one who forfeited his responsibility? He came for Adam. He came for Adam. He said, Adam, where are you? And then and he holds them accountable. And what does what does Adam do? He blames God and he blames his wife. He blames the gift and he blames the gift giver. So, the less life lesson here there are always consequences for disobedience. Always consequences for disobedience. Sow to the flesh and we reap destruction. And God curses them. Look, 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 look at the curse. This is what we see because of their disobedience. Genesis chapter 3. Uh, Starting at verse 16, you can turn in your Bibles or to be on the screen. It says, to the woman, this is what he said. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And all the ladies, don't you wish you could have had a conversation with Eve? Seriously. But your desire shall be contrary to your husband. But he shall rule over you. Wow. And Adam to Adam, he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curses the ground because of you. The ground is cursed now. You're cursed, the woman's cursed in childbearing, and now the man's cursed. The ground is cursed because of the man, and in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Pain in childbirth for the women, and pain for the men as they till the ground. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat. The plants of the field by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken; for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Death is a result of the curse. The effects of the fall, right, can be seen everywhere. Where do we see the effects of the fall? Jesus and the first disciples they walk out of the out of the temple. They see the effects of the fall: a man born blind. But where do we see it? We see it everywhere. Natural disasters. World hunger, hatred, murder, abuse of children, sickness, cancer, death. Everywhere we turn, watch the news, read social media. Everywhere we turn, at any moment of any day, if you pay attention to the world around you, you see the effects of the fall. The curse. The ground is cursed. The physical earth is cursed. And now we are born with a propensity, a tendency to sin. We don't have to be taught to sin. We are sinners because we are natural-born sinners. We sin because we are sinners, right? And the truth is, is we can't escape it. We can't escape the curse of sin. We can't escape the curse of the fall. can't escape it in the physical earth, and we can't escape it in our physical body. Surgery can't stop it. Surgery in our physical body can't stop it. And green energy can't reverse it in the physical earth. But we try, don't we? We try. We are are some interesting people, aren't we, as human beings? We are some interesting people. We will spend some money, won't we, to try to reverse the curse? We'll try. Billion dollar industries are funded. Through an attempt to reverse the curse. My wife told me last night as I was going over this message, she said, epidurals are an attempt to reverse the curse. So <laughs> said, you are right. You are right. What about the anti-aging industry in 2021? It was worth $62.6 billion. Anti-aging. You know what anti-aging is? It's an attempt to reverse the curse. I, I'm not against it. It's estimated to be $130 billion in the next nine years. It's going to more than double in the next nine years. People trying to reverse the curse, which the ultimate end of the curse of sin is death. We all die. What about, what about now? look, whether you believe there's a climate crisis or not, the idea of a climate crisis, in the budget in America for 2023, we will spend $44.9 billion to fight it. 44.9 billion of your tax dollars will go to fight a climate crisis. And that is expected to, to, to become $2 trillion a year in 70 years. In 70 years, it will be $2 trillion a year approximately that America spends to fight a climate crisis. So, so here are the top things that we're told we can do to, to fight aging and to save the planet. Here, here are the things. Top things to slow aging. Sleep well. Sunscreen meditation this is from the cdc website sleep well sunscreen meditation catch up with friends eat more fruits and veggies drink enough water sip on green tea limit alcohol floss your teeth did you know was that powerful (laughs) take vitamin d that's good we learned that during covid what about the top things now look those are good things i think you should floss your teeth and you should take vitamin d and you should drink more water That's not the point. The point is is that we go through extreme lengths to to reverse the curse. And it's good. I want you to live longer. Top things to stop climate change, according to some websites I looked at. Make your voice heard. Number one, make your voice heard. Eat less meat and dairy. I'm not signing up for that one. (laughs) I like me a steak and I like some milk with my cookies. Cut back on flying. Use your car less. Reduce your energy use. Use less hot water. Avoid products with lots of packaging and plant a tree. So no matter how much is spent, time and money, on slowing down the process of decay, decay wins. Decay wins out. You will not defeat decay. We will not defeat the decay of our body or the decay of this planet. We can't reverse what God has set in motion. Benjamin Franklin believed that, did you know? Our new constitution, Benjamin Franklin said, is now established. Everything seems to be, uh, to promise that it it will be durable. But in this world, nothing is certain except death and taxes. Benjamin Franklin was biblical. (laughs) So, So how should this impact our life? Right? Okay. Disciples leave the temple, they see a man born blind, they see the effects of the fall everywhere. We know we can't ultimately stop or reverse the curse of sin on our bodies and, and in the creation itself we will all decay we are decaying we are dying what what, what does that do to us how does that, how should that impact us before we move on to the question the disciples had well i think psalms 90 verse 12 tells us how we should respond it's the psalmist says so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom I I don't know when my last breath is going to be. I could drink water all day, every day, sip on green tea and meditate. I could exercise, and I could become the most physical fit I've ever been in my life, and I could leave out from church one day and get on 311 and be the end of my life because I don't know when my last breath will be, and I think the Word of God tells us because we see the effects of sin everywhere, because we know that that we're not promised our next breath, we should number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The apostle Paul in Ephesians, he he says it like this, that we should make the best use of the time because the days are evil. What does it mean the days are evil? It means the days are evil. The days are evil, that we're under the curse of sin in this world, and we should make the best use of our time. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And we see the effects, just as they did. We see the effects of the fall everywhere. Secondly, from our text, let's move on. Let's look at the question. Let's look at our second point. We see the effects of the fall everywhere. Secondly, because our world is broken, we often have questions. <laughs> we have questions. Don't you have questions? Look back at the text. John 9, verse 2. They leave the temple. They leave the temple. They see a man born blind. You think Jesus had some questions? I don't think he did, but his disciples did. Look at verse 2. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? That he was born blind. Because our world is broken, we often have questions. And these disciples, they had a question. They, they saw a man that was born blind and, they, and they, they, they thought, whose fault is it? Was it his or was it his parents? And, you know, the disciples often ask questions that make us scratch our heads sometimes, don't they? Don't they? These disciples, they, you know, they remind us of ourselves. That's why we laugh. It's like, That's, yeah, I'd probably ask that too. But this question reflects a couple of realities. The question as to why this man is suffering his entire life. He was born with this congenital disease of blindness. This question comes from two realities. One is this. the, The traditions that these disciples were taught about sickness and suffering, that's why they asked the question. And we'll see that in a moment. But I think this question comes from the universal struggle that humans have with suffering. We struggle with it. We struggle to understand it. We ask why. We want to know why are people born with the disease? Why do children suffer? Why do good people die early? Right. We have that human perspective, and so this is the question they have: Who sinned, this man or his parents? The, the, the disciples. It's obvious they knew him because they. They, didn't, they, they knew without further information he was born this way. So he had seen him at the temple daily. Every day they're coming to the temple and, and they had seen him. And, and maybe this question was stewing in them. And now they have the, the master, the, the teacher, the great, the great rabbi. And they had gotten some answers from their other rabbis about why he's born blind. But let's ask Jesus. Jesus, why? So they're asking this because they believe that there was a direct connection between suffering and someone's sin. Now, 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 just a side note, certainly there can be a connection between suffering and your sin. You or I, we can make sinful choices that will cause ourselves to suffer and others to suffer. You or I could drink alcohol to the point of being drunk, and we could get out on that road, and we could get in an accident, and we could die, and we could cause others to die. And so there can be a direct connection between our sin and our suffering, but this is not what they're asking. In this moment, because of what these Jews have been taught, they're asking a different question. These disciples would have been taught by their rabbis that if someone was born with a congenital disorder, it was because of their sin or someone else's sin. It was because of willful sin, not the curse of the fall. Right? You guys get that. We get sick because we are decaying. Our bodies are breaking down. We die because we are in the process of dying. We don't live forever on this earth. And so they're not asking about the curse of sin. They're saying, this guy must have sinned. That's why he's born this way. Or it must have been his parents who sinned. They believed, they were taught that you could draw a direct line from sinful actions to birth defects. You know, even one of the rabbis, one of the, the traditional beliefs that had developed was based on Genesis 4-7. Do you remember when Cain and Abel brought their sacrifices to God? And God received Abel's but not Cain's. And so God speaks to Cain, Genesis 4-7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door Sin is crouching at the door. Some of the rabbis developed a tradition and they they said that sin is at the door. What that means is is that sin is at the door. The door represents the womb. And so so sin is even in the womb. That's bad hermeneutics right there. That's bad interpretation of scripture. But that was the tradition that had developed. These Jewish disciples had questions though. Why the suffering? Why the suffering? He, He must have done something His parents must have brought this on him. Maybe it was their life choices. Maybe they they lived sinful lives, and because of their sinful lives, God was bringing judgment on them. And one way to bring judgment on them was to to curse their son with blindness. And they they had these questions, and this is what they were taught. And and I think it's important for us to to, to stop here and to, to make a point that questions do not scare God. They don't scare God. If you notice, whenever the disciples even ask foolish questions, Jesus was patient with them, and he gave give them answers, answers that confuse them, like we're going to see in this text. But, but questions don't scare God. Jesus will give answers, and we'll see the answer in a little bit to their spe- specific questions, but questions that arise from troubling situations were common for Jesus' first disciples, and they're common for me, and they're common for you. Don't you look around and ask questions? So where else do we see in the Bible? Suffering and questions, suffering and questions, challenges and questions, trials and questions. What about about Solomon? Have you ever read the book of Ecclesiastes? The book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon looking at life and the culmination, he says it over and over again. He looks at life and he says, it's meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. He says, think about it. This is my paraphrase. Think about it. You live, you live. You work, you accumulate wealth, you die. People that survive you take the money that you worked hard for, and they didn't earn it, and they waste it. Meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. What is it? Solomon is questioning the purpose of life. Suffering and questions, they're connected. What about Job? You read the book of Job lately? That's good good morning devotion. <laughs> I mean, wow. Wow. God, God says, Satan, come here. God says, Satan, come here. Have you noticed my servant Job? Look at him, he's pretty cool. He's blameless. Satan says, ah, I know. It's because you bless him. Curse him. He'll curse you to your face. God says, No, he won't. Test, test him. You can do everything you want to to him, but don't take his life. God said that. It's, God said that. It's just that Job questions. You want to think about questions? I have questions about Job. Can you imagine being Job? lost his health, boils all over his body. His kids die in tragedy. His friends are like the first disciples. They're saying, it's your fault, Job. If you lived right, this wouldn't be happening to you. It's because you're unrighteous that this is happening to you. Again, that was the Jewish tradition that we see in the first disciples. So Job, he had questions, didn't he? What about the psalmist, David? I love Psalms 13. Listen to the real life of the psalmist David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Solomon, Job, David, Jesus. Look at Isaiah 53. Look at Jesus. Look what the prophet says of Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with with grief. And the pinnacle of that grief that Jesus was acquainted with it had its pinnacle on the cross. Look at Matthew 27 46. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice Eli, Eli, Lemoth, Sabachthani, which is interpreted to say, My God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? Questions do not scare our Lord. Our Lord was acquainted with grief and rejection and pain and questions. And because our world is broken often, we have questions. We experience pain and we don't understand and we have questions. We have questions. Now, I, I want to pivot here for a moment. I, I want to take you on a little, little journey in your mind. Are you ready to travel with me? Okay. So, so we have questions, generally speaking, because of the fall. We, we, we just don't understand and we struggle I struggle with you. But I just want to say this. I want to teach you for a moment. I want to challenge you for a moment. Sometimes, though, the questions arise because of traditions that we have. These disciples have their question because of their bad traditions of belief about sin and suffering. They, be- they asked a the question because they believed wrongly. They believed wrongly because they were taught wrongly. And I don't, it doesn't matter where the teaching comes from. It could come from many different sources, from the internet, from social media, from your favorite YouTube preacher. But sometimes the questions, we, we needlessly have questions about suffering and sickness and trials because we've just been listening to bad stuff. We have bad traditions like the disciples. Maybe Maybe, listen, what are some of the traditions we might have believed over the years about sickness or suffering? Traditions that are not biblical. Listen, maybe... Maybe we believe this. It is always God's will to heal this side of heaven. Have you, have you believed that? If you believe that you've not read your Bible. You Remember, you remember the, 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 the heroes of faith, Hebrews 11, the hall of faith? Just go read that today. It's another good morning devotion, afternoon devotion. Look at all the persecution and the suffering and the death sawed in two for their faith in Jesus Christ. Look at all the disciples, all the apostles, or the apostles who we study uh, their letters and their books inspired by the Holy Spirit, they all lost their life for their faith. It is not always God's will to heal this side of heaven, and we know it, but we're taught differently. Here's another thing that maybe we've believed. That a sign that you were close to God is that you are not sick or suffering. That's what Job's friend, that's what Job's friends believed. Did they not? It, it, that the sign that, they, that Job was not close to God was because he was suffering. Sometimes we believe that. What about this one? If I figure out the faith formula, then God will move. That's a bad tradition. If I have enough faith... God will have to answer my prayer. You know what that, you know what that really means? It means that we've, we've been taught that God's at our beck and call. God just, he, he owes me. And I've got the formula, so I can make it happen. What about this one? If I walk in my God-given authority, I can have what I declare. How about this? Maybe you've believed this. Suffering is a sign of disobedience, right? We've, we've talked about that. How about this one? Blessings are primarily physical. Maybe we maybe believe that. And so that's why we question, um, if I'm blessed, God, then why am I physically suffering? I thought I'm supposed to be physically well if I'm blessed. Blessings are not primary. They don't have to be primarily physical. You know, the greatest blessing we have is not physical, it's spiritual. We have eternal life. What about this one? Listen, Christians should not struggle with depression. Have you believed that one? Maybe, maybe that tradition you've believed. So am I causing trouble to your mind? Did I cause you trouble? Good. That's what God's word does here in John chapter 9. You know, here's, here's, here's what I think. I think these disciples are just like us and we're just like them. They had those questions because I think they were taught wrongly. They had wrong traditions and beliefs about suffering and sickness and pain and trials. And, and, and I think, I think this, is, this is what they were asking Jesus. They asked him in, a, in the way we see in John 9. But, but I think this is what at the heart of their question. Jesus, we need a nice answer as to why this poor guy was born like this. We needed someone to blame for this. We need a formula for this. We need a box or a category to put this in. I, I, I get that. I, can, I got this. Figure it out. This is why this guy was born this way. This is why this child died early. This is why this person got in that car accident. I got it. It's the driver's fault. It's the pilot's fault. It's this person's fault. It's that person's fault. It's the devil that did it, right? Then you read Job, and, and then you get all confused. And then you read Jesus, and you get all confused. We need a category, right? Or we need an answer that tells us, as humans, we're in control of this mess we find ourselves in. I think that that's, that's under the surface of all that's going on here. And Jesus' disciples have not changed. We are just like them over 2,000 years. So, I'm going to transition here to the end to Jesus' answer. What is Jesus' answer to his disciples? Does he, a, does he give them a breath of fresh air? Does he help them? I mean, they, they see this guy every day at the temple. And it, They have compassion on him. They want to know why. Why is he born this way? What is Jesus' answer? Look back to the text, John 9, 3. They pass by. They see the effects of the fall. They say, why, Jesus, why? Jesus says, I'll tell you why. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Blind for the glory of God. Blind, that's what Jesus said, he's blind for the glory of God. This answer that Jesus gives leads us to our final point this morning. Look, Look to your handout here, look on the screen. Our limited understanding must rest in God's perfect knowledge. Our limited understanding must rest in God's perfect knowledge. We see the effects of the fall everywhere. And sometimes the effects of the fall, often we will have questions that will arise in our heart, and we must get to the point where our limited understanding, it must rest in God's perfect knowledge. Jesus' answer to their sincere question is it, it was not this man's fault, it was not his parents' fault, but it was so that the works of God might be seen in him, displayed in him, or displayed through him. And I have to say, what a shocking statement. That is shocking. Do you dislike it like I do? That is shocking from a human point of view. It's not his fault. It's not his parents' fault. He didn't cause it to happen. Can you hear the potential thoughts of those disciples when Jesus gives that answer? I I can hear them because I would have those same thoughts. I've had those same thoughts when I've read this text. Wait, 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 Jesus. This man was born this way? And lived this way as a beggar for all these years, so that the works of God might be displayed in him in this moment? What? Right? What, what, what do we see here? We see a question, and we see an answer, and we see a roadblock. We see, a quest, we see an earthly reality of sin and suffering and, and trials. We see a question based upon the trials and the suffering. We see an answer from an infinite God, and we see a roadblock. Whoa, wait, 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 stop, time out, start over. Uh, That doesn't compute. We see a roadblock. Why? It's the roadblock between human understanding and divine understanding. Divine knowledge and human knowledge. It's a roadblock between the reality that our minds cannot fully grasp this troubling statement by Jesus And isn't that what we see in Scripture about the mind of God versus our mind? Look at Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. The Lord says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God says, you don't think like me and, and, you don't, and I don't think like you. My thoughts and my ways, they are higher. It means what, what, what the Lord is saying in Isaiah 55 is that, is that humans think at this level, at an earthly level, with a limited perspective. We can only see from a limited perspective because we are limited. We are finite. God is here. He's eternal. He doesn't dwell in time. He can see the end from the beginning. He sees all and knows all. So he has perfect knowledge. Numbers twenty three nineteen says this, God is not man, that he should lie. Or the son of man, that he should change his mind. What, what, what does that mean? It means God's not man. It means we are not God and God is not us. We're different. He's greater. He's infinite. He's eternal. We're temporal. First Corinthians 13, 12 tells us also, for now, for now, in this moment, in this present life, we see in a mirror dimly. We don't see, it's just like, it's just cloudy. I, I don't see. I don't. See, clearly, I don't understand it. I have these questions and it's dim, and, but we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I'll know fully even as I have been fully known, right? That is the reality. Our limited knowledge must rest in God's perfect knowledge. God's not like us. God is greater than us. His ways are different than our ways. If we could have a choice, we would do things differently, wouldn't we? But we're limited. God's not. You know, it's interesting. Our advances in technology and knowledge, you know what it's caused in our society? It's caused pride. We think we know a lot. We think we know a lot. We think we have things figured out, but we don't. As hard as we try, we we can't figure. There's some things where you just hit a roadblock and you cannot know the answer to it. Right? Reminds me of a story of my, my friend, my, my good friend. I'm going to go see him today. I'm traveling to San Antonio, Texas to be with my friend, Pastor Matt Bell, at his conference, preaching tomorrow morning. I covet your prayers. I'm going to preach to a couple hundred pastors and missionaries. I ask that you pray for me, but I'll be with Pastor Matt Bell, and he's preached here twice, um, preached here twice for us on the Sunday morning. And he, if you listen to our podcast interview we do with him, you already know this story, but for, for those of you who never heard his Story, Pastor Matt Bell, he's been the pastor at Destiny Church for almost eight years now, but it was pastored by his, grand, his great-grandfather, then his grandfather, then his dad, David Bell, and then now Pastor Matt Bell. Well, while Pastor Matt was in college early, at, or outside of college uh, in his mid-20s or so, um, his dad was pastoring, and the routine for his dad was he would go to his office pre-service and the office was disconnected from the main church sanctuary was off to the side of the church property and he would prepare and pray and get ready and then when the first song would start his dad would come out and and take part in the music and then he'd preach well first song happens second song happens third song happens no pastor david no pastor david and and then it's time for the announcements it's time for the offering and no one sees where pastor david is so finally somebody goes and checks and he had died of a massive heart attack In his office. And so on a Sunday morning. And so I just encourage you. Go back. Listen to the podcast. The interview with Pastor Matt. He tells that story over two episodes. Uh, Compelling story. But the short of it is this. The point I want to make here is this. They're at the funeral. For Pastor Matt's dad. Okay. So Pastor Matt's uncle. His dad's brother. Gets up to speak at the funeral. He stands up in front of all of Pastor Matt's, all of his family, all the church family, and he says this. He says, if we could see what God sees and we could know what God knows, we would choose what God has chosen. And I think that summarizes what the point I'm trying to make here. If we could see what God sees and we could know what God knows, we would choose what God has chosen. But because we cannot see what God sees, because we cannot know all that God knows, then we often don't want to choose what God has chosen. But it's in those moments where we have to rest our limited knowledge and understanding in the infinite arms of a God who sees and knows all. Right? It reminds me of another podcast that we've recorded that I'm excited about tomorrow. Some of you don't even know this, but there's a brother in Christ that been a part of this church for many years' been a part of my life for quite a while. His name is Ross Arsamont Ross Arsamont has been attending for a while right right now Ross Arsamont is on the other side of that wall in the media room, directing the camera angles for the for what you're seeing on the screens and for what will go on youtube and then after the message, Ross Arsamont is going to take the, the the video file and he's going to edit it down and upload it on YouTube so you can watch it later or for those who didn't get to watch it he'll watch it later that they can watch it later but What's interesting about Ross Arsemont is that Ross has been born uh, disabled. He was born with a disease. His muscles, uh, uh, since he was born, have been degenerating. And so Ross has never walked. He's 35 years old. He is confined to a wheelchair. Have you seen Ross? Some of you, maybe you've never met him. I want to encourage you to go meet Ross. Ross, Ross is confined to a wheelchair, breathing tube. He's dependent upon others for normal activities that we take for granted. And he's serving right now back there. He only has use of two or three of his fingers. So I don't know how he edits the video. Have you seen a YouTube video? It doesn't look great. I don't know how he does what he does, but it's by the grace of God, and he's he's an engineer. Uh, um, It's just amazing. He's gone to college, graduated. He's an amazing young man, an amazing man man of God, and we interviewed him uh, in December. And I want you to watch his, his, um, his interview. I want you to listen to it. It's going to be on our podcast tomorrow. Tomorrow. You'll see it on social media. You'll see the link for it. You'll see it on YouTube tomorrow. And, and what I'll say about I don't want to give away his story, but it was so compelling. And we, we titled the podcast, A Life Lived for the Glory of God. Born with a disease at birth that has changed his entire life but he lives for the glory of God. It's powerful. And he attends our church. He attends our church, living for the glory of God. If you see Ross wheeling around in his wheelchair, don't be intimidated by him. Go high-five him. Go say hi to him. Listen to this podcast tomorrow. Listen to it. Our limited knowledge must rest in God's perfect knowledge. You know, here's the truth. We're, we're, we're about to close here. We're getting to the conclusion. Jesus is going to help us out a little bit. You, are you ready for some help? God's going to give us some help. But, but here's the truth. Countless theological books have been written and lectures given and coffee shops filled with debates. Churches divided. Over what? Over human attempts to understand God's infinite nature and sovereign understanding. We'll sit in coffee shops, and we'll divide churches, and, and 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 we'll spin our circles, we'll write our books, and we'll try to figure out God's infinite knowledge. And there comes a point where we have to say, God, you're greater, you're bigger, you're stronger, you know more." Uncle, I say, Uncle, I yield, I yield. These poor disciples ask an innocent, honest question based upon their traditional beliefs. And then Jesus drops a bomb on them. He said, your rabbis were wrong. This guy was born this way, so I would get glory through him. So, conclusion. What does Jesus say to help his disciples after he dropped the bomb? Look back at the text. He helps us. John 9, 4 and 5. Here's what he says. He gives the answer and he follows up. We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Thanks, Jesus. That clears it up for me. That clears it up. What's He saying? This is what He's saying. This is my paraphrase of what you just read in verse 4 and 5. It's clearly, my paraphrase. I think He's saying this Hey, guys, I get it. You're confused. I know you were taught by your rabbis that there must be an earthly reason for such tragedy. But my answer is to trust me and to get to work. Get to work. At some point, you got to quit drinking the coffee at the coffee shop. you got to quit the debates. you got to close the book. And you got to get to work while it's day. Because night is coming when no one can work. And listen, the point of this entire story is the salvation of those who are in this story. And we see the man born blind, he gets saved. You're going to see it in two weeks, he gets saved. That's the point Jesus is making. At some point, you can get to the point where you just have fought yourself crazy. Trying to figure out God in his fullness. But we'll never figure out God in his fullness. And Jesus says, get to work. Get to work, guys. There's work to be done. And I think that's what he's telling us. He says, I know my answer may cause a problem in your mind. and I know you might like to discuss these theological questions and debates, but there are some things that you can't figure out. Get up from the coffee table and get to work. Get to work. I love what Jesus says in John 4. He says this. The disciples, they had come back with lunch for Jesus. and They were so confused because he didn't he'd already eaten right right he's like wait did somebody bring you food He's like no no nobody brought me food I'm here talking to a Samaritan woman I, and, and this is what I want you to understand Jesus said to them my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work do you not say there are yet four months then comes the harvest look I tell you lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest amen That's why we exist, my brothers and sisters, my family. Look up. Look up all around you. The harvest is ready. The time to work is now. We may not have all of our questions answered this side of heaven, but we are confident. I may not have all my questions answered this side of heaven, and there may be questions awaiting me around the corner. But I am confident that right here, right now, people need Jesus. People need Jesus. Need Jesus. People need the gospel. People need the light of the world. They need the light of the world. They're living in darkness. And maybe you're here today. And maybe you need Jesus. Maybe you came in the door today and you find yourself sitting here listening to this message and you're saying, Yes, I have had a lot of questions about life. I've had a lot of questions about the suffering I've been going through. I've been depressed. I've been anxious. Trouble in my family, trouble in my marriage. Trouble everywhere. I'm here to tell you, you're in the right place today. You're in the right place. Jesus is a light of the world. He is the light that you need. He is the truth you need. He is the, the source of the forgiveness that you need. Your sins will separate you from him forever. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. If you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is God, you will be born again and the light will come on. And those questions that you've been wrestling with, those questions you've been struggling with, the weight of them and the weight of it will be gone because the greatest weight will be lifted off of your shoulders, an eternal weight, an eternal weight of your sin. So I would encourage you today, we're going we're, we're to close in prayer. We're going to sing a song. We're going to declare how much we need God. But if you're here today and you've not confessed Christ, I want to tell you today's your day. You can make a decision today. I'll be down front. The other pastors will be down front. While we're singing, after we're done singing, come talk to us. Come pray with us. Choose Christ. Receive Christ. Repent and believe in the gospel today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Can, I, can I pray for us? Once you stand to your feet? We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing. Father, I, I thank you for your word. Your word is so rich. Layers upon layers upon layers of truth. Layers upon layers of truth. And I thank you that as we dig into your word, that we come to know you more and more. And I pray that that knowledge increases our love for you. And I thank you, Lord, for what your word taught us today. That we see the world's broken. that because our world is broken, kids can be born with diseases and sicknesses and Things that that are painful to see. And sometimes we have questions and we don't understand. And I thank you that you're a God who is not scared of our questions. That we can come to you. James 1 says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. We can come to you with our questions. May we not run from you in our questions. May we run to you with our questions. And our God, I pray that in our questions that that we would find ourselves resting in your perfect knowledge, in your perfect wisdom, and help us to say, as David Bell's uncle said, that if we could see what you see and know what you know, that we would choose what you have chosen, even when it hurts, even when it hurts. Lord, help us to do that today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.